This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Hello, Emmaus! Thanks for joining us, either in person or virtually, and welcome to 2021. How exciting. Uh, Just one quick announcement for today. It is that our leadership intensive is starting next Thursday, which is the 14th. And it is from 6 to 7.45 a.m. And we're meeting here at the Sterling Event Space. And if you want to find out more information, you can go to emmausdenver.com slash intensives. And if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Today, we are going to be reading through 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God. Good morning. I feel like I can like feel the excitement that it's like another year. I don't, I don't know why, but that was commented on more this morning than previous years. I don't feel like it's, um, it's kind of exciting, all of the new things. Um, it's, the building still feels kind of new. It's weird that I can go somewhere and work during the week uh, and have meetings with people at a space. That's, that's sort of a new and exciting thing for us. Um, it's neat that we're starting a, a new series I'm excited about 1 Corinthians. Um, there's some, there's uh, hopefully some helpful things, a handful of controversial things, and um, overall just makes me generally excited for the series. I think another, another thing that's kind of exciting is we have someone in our church, uh, Laura, if she's watching at home with Stella, she's probably very embarrassed right now, um, but she's, she's helping us with uh, our branding and I would say new branding, uh, but we haven't really had branding before, so it's almost like uh, our first branding, uh, which, is, which is an interesting uh, project to kind of go through. It's been fun sort of explaining uh, who and what is Emmaus around our vision and our mission and just like what do, we, what do we desire, what are we aiming for, who we are, and having her sort of digest all of that and put it into something that's simple and clear to communicate. So I'm really thankful for her help in that. And it's gonna be interesting to have simple things like just consistent fonts across our website, um, uh, an actual logo. But the thing I am like most excited about is we're gonna have a sign with our name on it attached to the outside of the building. So that's like, ma- that's like major upgrades for Emmaus. So 2021, signed on, a t- on a attached to a building. So, <laughs> so I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I'm also, uh, like I said, I'm, ex- I'm excited about the new series. We're, call- we're calling it Taught by the Spirit. And our plan is to work through, basically, we won't hit every single verse, um, but we're going to work through all of 1 Corinthians leading up to Easter, where we'll sort of cap off the series while being taught by the Spirit about resurrection. So, seems appropriate, 
end of 1 Corinthians and we'll, we'll finish off a, on Easter. But there's, I'm excited about this, this particular series for, for kind of two reasons for, for Emmaus. One, I think that we could just grow in our understanding of the, of the role of the Spirit. Like we, we spent some time in our Advent series talking about the Father and the Son, but, but what's, what's up with the Holy Spirit? Like let's just, let's just grow in our understanding of the actual work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's gonna happen as we sort of work through 1 Corinthians. Uh, another reason why I'm, I'm excited about the series through, through 1 Corinthians, and it's one of the things that sort of perked my interest at the beginning as, as we're talking about what to do at the beginning of the year, is there's a lot of just really like down-to-earth stuff in 1 Corinthians, um, some of it with a little bit of controversy, but we're gonna talk about what it means to be taught by the Spirit when it comes to evaluating leaders in ministry. We're gonna talk about what it means to be taught by the Spirit when we're, when we're dealing with conflict um, even within our community. Uh, we'll spend some time on, on how we're taught by the Spirit in regards to communion and just how we worship on Sunday. We're gonna, be, we're gonna be taught by the Spirit when it comes to being single or being married or uh, just sexuality in general comes up in 1 Corinthians. You know, I'm sure there's nothing controversial in that chapter there. Um, ben, you ready to preach on that one? No. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we're also gonna be taught by the Spirit when it, what it actually means to, to love our neighbors. What does it mean to love our neighbor, whether within the church or without of the church. So there's, there's a lot of just like rubber meets the road topics through the, through the book of 1 Corinthians. So I'm a little nervous about some parts, but generally I'm, I'm pretty excited about just some of the like rubber meets the road kind of things in the, in the book of Corinthians. So, so I've been praying as, I, as we lead up into this, this series in 1 Corinthians. I've been, I've been praying and I kind of want to ask you guys to pray for Emmaus. Um, you can go on to Emmaus.com forward slash praying. Uh, and see some of these things, but, but two things I'm really praying for in this, throughout this series for the next few months. I'm praying that as a church, we would just grow in our understanding of what the Spirit does. Amen. Just as a community, we would have a, a better grip on the actual role of the Holy Spirit. Um, the other thing I've been praying for, uh, and I think Ben brought this up, and this is in our call to worship, I'm, I'm praying that we would learn to recognize when we're taught by the Spirit and recognize when we're taught by the spirit of this age. So how do we know when we're taught by the spirit? And that's something that I'm praying for. I'm also very intentionally using this phrase, taught by the spirit, because it's, a, it's this letter, it's just a letter that Paul wrote to a church. This letter goes 15 chapters, but it was meant to be taken as a whole. So that some of the foundational things that we have in Chapter one and chapter two, where Paul says that we're taught by the Spirit, some of those foundational things are sort of meant to carry on into some of the more practical things as we, as we go through the letter. So I'm, I'm trying to, to anchor us in this phrase, taught by the Spirit, because I think it has some really practical implications for how we think about some of the things as we go, we go through the series over the next few months. So, so this morning, we're gonna introduce the letter. We're gonna talk about why do we need to be taught by the Spirit? Why do we need to be taught by the Spirit? And then over the next two weeks, uh, we'll spend two weeks talking about, okay, well, what does it mean as we work through the next couple of chapters? What does it mean that we're taught by the Spirit? And then uh, at the end of the month, Ben is gonna kick us off with one of the more uh, practical ways as this kind of goes into the book, uh, the letter of Corinthians. Uh, what, so what are the like practical things as we sort of work through the rest of that? So why today? 
what over the next couple of weeks, and then after that, we'll hit a, a handful of different practical topics as we're, as we're taught by the Spirit. So I do, I'm, I, I'm gonna probably overuse that phrase, but I'm just trying to ground us in this reality that as a community, we're, we're taught by the Spirit. So let's go to him. Let's pray that he teaches us this morning as we think about just why we're taught by the Spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you Thank you that you wrote just a bunch of letters through your apostles that deal with some things that sometimes super resonate with where we're at, um, sometimes don't, um, but your spirit is working in all those things, Lord. I pray that as we look at 1 Corinthians, that just as a community, we would grow in our appreciation for what your spirit does, Lord. Um, I pray that he would work to keep our minds and our hearts fixed on you this morning. Uh, so many things distract us. Um, we're, we're easily distracted as we're praying about this morning, Lord. I pray that you would just keep us from that temptation and that our focus would be on your words, uh, our focus would be on your worship, and that just in a supernatural way, we would be fixed on you. Uh, so I pray that you would uh, just encourage us with your presence in that way. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so this morning we're gonna introduce the letter kind of give a little context to, to what's going on in 1 Corinthians and then try to understand why do we need to be taught by the Spirit uh, before we look at the what over the next couple of weeks. So why do we need to be taught by the Spirit? And as we walk through Paul's introduction, I wanna kind of hit on two big things. I wanna talk about the, the tension and the gifts. I wanna talk about the tension and the gifts the tension in the gifts that being taught by the Spirit or that make the Spirit necessary. The tension in the gifts that make the Spirit necessary. So let's just start with some uh, baseline context in verse one. Uh, he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So this is Paul, just sort of a, a very typical introduction for his letters. He's, he's letting everyone know who he is. He's saying, I'm an apostle. An apostle is just another way to say a, a special messenger of Jesus. He's a, he's a special messenger of Jesus and he's not, he's not called that because he sort of felt called to that. He's not called that because he was elected to call that. He's telling us that he was, he was called by, by the resurrected Jesus himself. By the, by the same Jesus that holds the seven stars in his hands in Revelation that has eyes like a flame of fire that walks among his churches. This Jesus showed up to Paul who was persecuting the church and completely changed everything about who he was. So Paul introduces himself, says, look, I'm a special messenger of Christ. I've been called by him. And he says this, and also my brother Sosthenes. So we actually have a couple of things in, the, in 1 Corinthians where it, the, this church seems like they were asking him some specific questions. And so he says, our brother Sosthenes. So there's a good chance that this brother Sosthenes was from the church of Corinth. It was sent to Paul, potentially with a letter to Paul. And then Paul is sending this letter back to the church with his brother Sosthenes. That's why he says, our brother Sosthenes. So then from there, he kind of goes on and he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. The church of God that is in Corinth. He's writing this letter uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's where we kind of, we get the, the title for the book, 1 Corinthians, because it's the letter to Corinth, to the people in Corinth who are the Corinthians, and it's the first surviving letter we have of this. So we have another one, which is why it's called 2 Corinthians. But, this, but Corinth is a city you go to today. Uh, it's, it's close to Athens. 
uh, in Greece. It'd be really cool to go there, but it's a little bit hard to travel uh, overseas right now. Um, but this isn't Paul kind of randomly picking a church to, to sort of write a letter to or someone was just like, hey, Paul, we have some questions. Can you send us a letter? This is a church that he spent uh, a year and a half serving in. Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth uh, preaching the gospel and sort of raising up this church. And it's in this church is where he met Priscilla and Aquila, which was a couple that made tents. And that happened to be Paul's day job. So not only does he, does he also make tents, he con- kind of connected with this couple. And that couple from Corinth ended up traveling with him uh, to other churches and encouraging and planting other churches. But the, the idea is that this is a church that Paul would be very familiar with. He knows the church of Corinth. He's, his, he's besties with people from Corinth and he spent a year and a half there. So, but Corinth is like a lot of other cities that Paul ends up in. It's a, it's a port city. So, you know, you can't just Uber around the Mediterranean. You take the transportation ships and, and just sort of the way that the trade is happening. There's a lot, it's easy if you want to proclaim the gospel throughout all the nations. For Paul, it's easy to, easier, I'd say, um, to hop on a ship and just end up in another port city. So it's, it'd be pretty common for him to end up in a port city. He would go to the synagogue. He would go to the marketplace. He'd talk about the gospel and eventually God would raise up a church. Sometimes he'd spend upward of seven or eight years at a place and then kind of move on to the next place. So Corinth is, is an important port city, but, it, but there's a couple of unique things about Corinth that we don't see in some of the other uh, letters that Paul wrote. For one, it's, it's, part, it's on an is, isthmus, which is like the most difficult word to say because it's spelled with a th. Um, don't, I like stumbled over that all week practicing. Um, but it's an isthmus. And if you don't know what that is, it's just a, a narrow strip of land that connects two larger bodies of land. It's like Panama. Panama is an isthmus. It connects North and South America. So Corinth is on an important isthmus, isthmus in in the, in the Greek world and in the Roman Empire. And another, another interesting uh, fact about the city of Corinth is that when the Roman Empire was kind of in its ascendancy, they, they saw how important the city was to, to uh, the Greeks and they decimated it. They just like completely destroyed it. And, and there's not evidence really that people lived there for a long time. And they used it as like a quarry. So they went and like took big stones from some of the buildings and then took those big stones out and built whatever it was they were building. So, so the, the city was decimated. Nobody lived there for a while. And then the Romans were like, hey, this city on this isthmus is kind of like an important city. So they rebuilt the city uh, recently before Paul, a little less than 100 years before Paul got there, they rebuilt the city and it became the actual the capital city of that region in the Roman Empire, which is Achaia. Uh, and Paul references that region in the, the second letter he writes to the Corinthians. So, so you basically have this, he arrives in Corinth. It's an it's a important capital city with a, with a strategic location. It's a, it's a fairly new city. So historians believe there's a lot of transplants just kind of flooding into the city. So I, I picture like someone riding on a donkey with like a tattoo of like native, you know, like I'm one of the natives of Corinth. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a booming city and there's just tons of construction. People are moving, moving in. There's a lot of Greek culture that sort of prided itself in um, some of the pleasures and the joys of the day, whether that was like hipster coffee shops or breweries. Um, but in seriousness, they had, they had big temple parties uh, and big feasts that they would do. Uh, it, some, there's some historical evidence that there was a lot of identity politics in Corinth, which is interesting because they had all these different groups coming from different parts of the world. 
And some of these historical things that we know about Corinth play out in the letter that Paul wrote to the church. The church was actually caught up in different temple festivals. They were like, hey, when do we participate in these festivals and when do we not? Uh, generally, the church had kind of like a, a, a you-do-you mentality when it, when it came to sex or, or even how they did the weekly gathering. There were, there were people at the weekly gathering who got drunk. Like that was just, that was what was going on at the church in Corinth. And they had, on the teaching front, it was interesting, they, had, they were fighting over the different teachers that they thought were better than, than other teachers. And when they were gathering, they would have people like just get up and sort of have something to say and have a teacher to promote. And when I think about the way that Paul describes this church, it reminds me of like a sports bar. I mean, this is, this is like the picture that he paints. They've, you go to a sports bar and like there's, everyone's watching like a different team. There's like a, a variety of levels of sobriety. Some people are just there and don't care. Some people are like all fired up and excited. Th- this is sort of the picture that Paul paints of this church in Corinth. They're, they're, they're like a, a crowded sports bar. And so in a sense, the gathering of the Christians at Corinth looked a lot like the gathering of the culture around them. And so this is what prompts Paul to write his letter. He's, he's reminding this church about who they are. He's reminding this church about the real tension that comes from being a community of God. The tension, the tension that comes in a gathering when you actually don't look like the culture around you. And, and this is where we can start to see the tension that makes the spirit necessary. Look at the entirety of verse two. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to the sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So the first thing to notice, I think to help us sort of orient on this is how the word church is used. Because I think we have a lot of sort of baggage in that word that wasn't originally there in the context. The main idea of a church is just a physical gathering. It's, it's a big part about why we just call this the Sunday gathering, because there's just less baggage in, in that word gathering. This is our Sunday gathering. But you could, you could gather for anything, and if you're to use that word a gathering, it doesn't necessarily have all this context that we have today when we talk about a church. Uh, even in the Bible, there's a, there's a group, I think it's in, in Ephesus, they, they're super upset because their, their idol or their little statue sales are, are dwindling. So they, they crowd together and they're all upset. They're all upset about the fact that the sales of their statues are going down. And for, it, it's weird because in the Bible it says for two hours they ch- chanted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They're like, they're like just like yelling about how great that their gods are so that they could sell more of these things. And the Bible calls them a church because it's just, it's, just a, it's just a gathering. And this is the way that the Bible uses that word. So, there, so, you, can, so you can church for whatever. You can, you can gather for selling statues, you can church for football, church for shopping at the mall. But here, Paul is reminding this, this group in Corinth that they're a different kind of gathering. They're a different kind of church. There's, a, there's this real tension that comes from being a different kind of gathering. And, and he says the tension comes from it's a gathering or a church of God. That's why he says to the church of God or the gathering of God. He's, what he's doing is he's really trying to distinguish them from the rest of the culture. And we can better understand the, the tension 
that comes from being a church of God when we look at the two phrases that he uses to describe the gathering. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and he says, and to those called to be saints. The sanctified and the saints. And we, we talked a little bit about this idea of sanctification in our Advent series, but, but sanctification just means to be set apart for service to God, just set apart unique from, from other things around. In the Old Testament, they would sanctify a bowl because it was set apart to be used in the, in the temple service of God. So, so this idea of sanctification is just to be set apart. And it's, it's kind of, it's important to know this. Paul will hit on this like a bunch of different times, but they're not set apart because this group is so awesome. They're set apart in Christ Jesus. They're set apart because they're united to Christ and it's important because that, that, that idea of being set apart doesn't have anything rooted in who we are or who you are or who the Corinthian church is. It's rooted in our connection to who Jesus is. That's what makes us set apart. But the, the important thing to note is that he is, Paul, right at the very beginning of the letter is calling out this idea that they're set apart or sanctified from the rest of the world. And this, this is going to bring real tension helps a little bit to understand too, not just the sanctification, but this idea that they're, they're called to be saints. So they're set apart and they're called to be saints. And the first thing I think of when I think of saints is like those little candles that you burn in like the Catholic church. We had like a big section of those at Walmart and when they would get out of order, it would be like the worst to put them in order because they look almost all the same. Um, but I, 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 there's just this, there's this heavy Roman Catholic connotation with this idea of saints but it's, a, it's actually a pretty simple word. It just means holy ones or holy people. That's what uh, some Bible translations even say, called to be holy people. Um, so it's just, it's just simply saying holy people. Um, so the gathering, the, this gathering of this church of God is set apart for service to God and called to be holy. And maybe holiness is, is a difficult word, but the, this idea this idea of holiness has, has a sense of being set apart, but in this context, holiness is talking about moral purity, this idea of moral purity. And I feel like just talking about moral purity sort of in our culture already adds a little bit to the tension of that. Um, but, but when we say that we're set apart to be holy, it's the same thing as saying we're set apart to, to love God and love our neighbor. It's the same thing as saying we're set apart to obey the law. It's the same thing that's saying we're set apart at Emmaus, we say to look like Jesus. We wanna be transformed by the beauty of Jesus so that we're made holy so that we look like Jesus. So this church, this church in Corinth should be characterized by their self-control. They should be characterized by their ability to care more about others than themselves. They should be characterized by their, their desire to find their fulfillment in their joy in the presence of the Lord, not in sexual endeavors or the food or the drink that they're excited about. They should be, they should be characterized by a people that's, that's not divided like the culture. They should be characterized by their, their unity, by their, their united in worship and singing and their, and their coming together to, to take communion or as Paul says, to, to share in, in the one bread. But here, here Paul is saying this just isn't another gathering in the world. This is the gathering of God and being, being set apart for holy, morally pure service to God brings real tension with the world around him. And Paul calls that out at the very beginning of the letter. And I think, 
you know, you guys probably see this coming, but if you read the, the last part of the verse, it says, for all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. This is the, this is the reality, this idea, this tension that comes is the reality of everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. This is the, this is the reality of everybody who sees the gospel as beautiful, who sees the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our king as something that we value. This is the re- reality of all of us. And I think about a few different examples, the, the fact that there's this, this, this tension with the world around us. And, you know, COVID is kind of the, the obvious one. Um, it, it's affected us in a lot of different ways. And I, and I think about what Denver is willing to church for, what Denver is willing to gather for. And I, and I looked on Amazon's website, a single fulfillment center can employ 1,500 full-time employees. 1,500, and that doesn't even count part-time or seasonal. And so I think about like the ways that we're willing to church so that we can get that super important thing we need tomorrow, which I really like that I can order things and it shows up tomorrow. But we're willing to gather as a city to ensure that we can order all the stuff we want. And you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot of Googles to see that the Amazon Fulfillment Centers has been an issue with spreading COVID. And you think, think about all the stuff we need. I don't know if anyone went to the mall in December. I feel like I have to like confess I was at a concert or something. Like it was packed. Like I'm waiting in line to get into the store I want to go to, but like it's a full crowd, like in the aisles of the mall. Like Denver, Denver is, is, is willing to, to church for the things that we want to get. And then you think about what Denver misses. We miss the restaurants. I mean, I'm counting down the days to tomorrow. They open and I can go and eat inside. I'm like, yes. I don't have to have Bridget ask me if we can go to this restaurant and remind her again that they're closed. <laughs> but, but we look forward to that. We look forward to, to gathering for the food that we enjoy. We look forward to the, the concerts or the, the sports that we definitely church for. I mean, these are, these are things in our culture that we, that we enjoy gathering for. But if you... M- <laughs> If you, if you think about the difference then between what the culture values and what the culture gathers and the things that we, the things that we value, the things that we, we miss, if you, if you actually miss the gathering of believers, if you think this is something valuable, you're already feeling the tension with the rest of the world. If you actually miss the fellowship of believers enjoying a meal together with your family of, of believers, and, and, and talking about and reflecting on who God is, you miss something that the rest of the world doesn't miss. You, you desire and you value something that Denver thinks is either a waste of time on Sunday morning or is, or is really not that significant or at the very least you, you value something that absolutely shouldn't at all be a risk of spreading anything. It's, it's, just, it's just not high on the list of things that the culture cares about. And it's not just... It's not the, the big stuff either. It's not, you know, we can talk about what the city values versus what, what the, the, the church of God that's called to be holy values, but it's the, it's the things in here. There's tension, there's this tension that comes from even the things that we wrestle with inside of us. And I think about, uh, you know, talking to some others and think about just hard relationships you know, or, or difficult friends or, or people that we know. The, 
we feel that tension. God calls us to go towards people. God calls us not to snap back. God calls us to, to love those people when there's difficulty there. And there's, and there's tension. And I think about all the Enneagram 9 people in our church totally feel that tension. <laughs> when, when a relationship is difficult, it's easy to just kind of like, like step away. There's, there's tension deep down in there. We're also called to, to serve and consider others as more important than themselves. I feel that tension when me and Bridget are talking about where we want to go out to eat. I'm like, I know where I want to go out to eat because I desire this thing. I don't care what you desire. And I don't say those things out loud. I just try to like weave in for a compromise. But, but, there's, but there's, there's tension even, even in here. It's not necessarily in the things out there. It, you know, I th- uh, another tension point for me is that, you know, you stop. I, I, like to, I'm a, I like to do things. I like to get things done. To stop and sit down and consider who the Lord is, and to pray about my heart, to bring my sin to bear, even in my own thinking, and to stop and take some time to consider the Lord, there's, there's tension there. That's, I, don't, I'm, I know that that's good for me, but I don't, after two minutes, I'm like, all right, now I need to go accomplish things. Um, but that, I, you know, I feel like that's something that maybe the twos and threes can appreciate the, the tension. But you, you don't need uh, an Enneagram to know that there's real tension that comes in our lives when we're, when we're set apart for holy service to the Lord. And the, and the tension comes basically in every part of our lives if we stop to think about it. Uh, I didn't even have to bring up any of the controversial things about sex and gender, which you know already kind of like raises the tension in the room. But th- there's all this tension that comes when we're set apart to be holy for God, the tension with the world around us and tension for, for even the things inside of us and when I stop and think about this, when I think about the number of points in my life where I, where I feel what God has called me to do and whether loving my neighbor or, or being holy or however I wanna say that, when I feel all these things that God has called me to value and I, and I think about all the places that there's tension, it's a little bit overwhelming. It's like, ugh, it's, it, it's stressful. It's like, there's just, it's almost like there's this, this weight of what I, what I have to deal with. And I think about the tension that's there. And, and, the, and I, at some points, it's like, why? I just wanna get what I wanna get. I wanna do what I wanna do. I don't, I don't wanna have to deal with that tension. And it's those, it's, it's those stressful points. It's those, it's those realization that there's so much tension between what God has, has transformed me into and called me to do in the world around me where it can be a little bit overwhelming. And I think that's what Paul realizes. Paul understands that there's gonna be tension between the church of God and the rest of the world. So it's like he doesn't even skip a, a beat. He goes straight to sort of the, the gifts or the blessings that come with that tension. The same, the same union with Christ that sets us apart is the same union with Christ that gifts us that gifts us to deal with that tension in a way that brings peace. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 verse three. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just a introduction to the letter. So it's kind of easy to pass this over. But the, the, the introduction says a lot when we're taught by the Spirit. I like how uh, this really old guy from Princeton, uh, his name's Charles Hodge, he said, grace is favor and peace its fruits. 
The former, grace, includes all that is comprehended in the love of God as exercised towards sinners. And the latter, peace, all the benefits which flow from above, from that love. So Paul knows that, probably more than any of us, Paul knows that overwhelming feeling of tension that comes from being set apart for service to the Lord. And he immediately in the next verse quickly reminds us of the gifts that we've been given. All this, all this favor that we have from God, or as, as he puts it, all that is comprehended in the love of God. And, and all those gifts, all those things that flow from our union with Christ are meant to bring us peace, are meant to bring us peace in light of all that, all that tension. And, and I think this is interesting in light of the church in Corinth. This, you know, we said this is a, a, a sports bar church. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a messy church. And the very next thing he says right after this, verse four, there we go. The very next thing he says is, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I give thanks to my God always for you. He can't help but give thanks because of all the grace or all the gifts that this church has in their union with Christ. He, can't, he, can't, he feels the tension that comes from being set apart and this church is a total mess. And the next thing he says is, I give thanks to my God always for you. He, he knows Paul knows that we're, we're united to the same Jesus. We're the same church that is a complete mess and is set apart to be holy for the Lord is the same church that's gifted and equipped to do this. It's the same church that's been, that's been graced in every possible way so that they're not lacking in anything. And he goes on to explain some of those gifts. He says, all right, you have to help me out, Josh. <laughs> in verse five, he goes on to explain some of those gifts. He says, in every way, he's talking about the church in Corinth. He says, in every way, you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. In every way, you were enriched in all speech and all knowledge. In your union with Jesus, you're enriched or, or made rich in all speech and all knowledge. And think about that. If you're struggling to deal with the different points of tension from being called out by the Lord, from being set apart to be holy, if you're struggling to deal with the, the different points of tension in your life, Paul says that you are made rich with all the knowledge and all the speech that you need to deal with that. And later he even says, you have the mind of Christ, which is kind of a, kind of a big statement. And we'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. But you're, you're gifted with everything you need to be set apart for service to the Lord in your union with Jesus. And the, and the fact that you feel that tension in the world around you is evidence, at the same time is evidence that you're also gifted with everything that you need to deal with that tension. You don't need Wiki, you don't need the Googles, you don't need Facebook, you're gifted in Jesus with all speech and all knowledge. And if you're wondering, that sounds good, um, but I don't feel like I have all speech and all knowledge. Well, what do, like, where is the disconnect here? What am I missing? If you're, you're wondering where the disconnect is, it's, I think it's, it's easy to miss, and I didn't notice this right off the bat, but, but think about who he's writing the letter to. He's writing the letter 
letter to the gathering of the church. He's not writing this letter to an individual believer. He's actually writing this letter to, to a community. And it's harder to see sort of in the English, but every single you in this passage, every single you in the passages that we read, if you're from Texas, is a y'all, which I hate that word and I'm from Texas, but it, it's easier if you read that. Um, y'all are enriched, um, but it's, it's this idea that the community is enriched. The, the grace was given to all of us. The, the speech was given to all of us all knowledge was given to the entire church of Corinth. And later we'll see that he actually gifts the church differently uh, to, to build us up. The body is, is, but the body is made complete together, uh, not, not by ourselves individually. If you don't feel like you have all speech and all knowledge, it's because you don't. You, you don't have these resources by yourself. You have these resources gifted to us in the community. And, and, and on the inverse side, you individually, each one of you are meant to be and are gifted for someone else and for the community as a whole. It's this community idea. It's this, it's this idea that even in, the, in the, this sort of sports bar church, we can look at verse six, Paul says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, because he's talking about the entire community, they definitely have their issues, and he spends a lot of the letter talking about that, but he's saying, Corinth, even in your community, there's evidence of the work of Jesus among you. And I, and I think about that, even in Emmaus, we have people who have, found peace in personal conflict. We have people who have had joy, even in 2020, even with rough jobs. We have people who've, who've leaned into really difficult relationships and grown from those things. We, we have all sorts of men and women in Emmaus that know more about the beauty of the gospel today than they did a year ago. And it's encouraging because Emmaus, the testimony of Jesus is definitely being confirmed among us. And I do give thanks for that. The question is, do you see your brothers and sisters that way? Do you see your community that way? Or maybe it's harder, do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a gift to the community? Do you see yourself as part of God's intricate working to give us all knowledge and all speech in the community of Emmaus? And so we're equipped, Paul says, in the next verse, he says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord. You're so equipped as a community that Paul says we're not lacking anything. And more than that, God will use this church, God will use this gathering of God to sustain you and to sustain you all, to sustain y'all uh, to the very end especially in light of all the tension that comes from being set apart as a community. That's, that's what he's gifted this community for. And we, we okay, we'll come full circle. This is the good time to check back in for the rest of the series. Um, I started by saying, why do we need the Holy Spirit? And we haven't really talked about him a whole lot. And, and uh, I, wanna, I wanna kinda end with this. Why do we need the Spirit to understand the gifts and the tension that we have in our union with Jesus Christ. The reality is, is that if we're honest with ourselves, most of us don't see the community this way. Most of us don't see ourselves that way as a gift that God has designed for this community. And, and this is why we need the Spirit. This is why we need to be taught by the Spirit. Because 
if we're just looking at Emmaus, if we're just looking at our church, Denver is not flocking into this room because all of us have all speech and all knowledge. Like it's, it's almost kind of silly to say. Uh, you may not even be open to talking about some of the tension that you have with people in your community or with your GC because you don't think that they're, they're sufficient to, to sustain you until the end, to help you deal with some of the tension that you have in this world. Or, you know, I think another thing is we don't feel like we can contribute because we don't feel like God has gifted us. But this is genuinely a community project. But if we, if we stop and think about the church in Corinth, and I, don't, I really don't think I'm exaggerating uh, when I say it, it's like a sports bar at church on Sunday. This is like, the Corinthian church is like the poster child of the worst church in the New Testament. Um, so, so if Paul can say these things about the Corinthian church, he must know something that we don't. And, I, and he says these things because Paul is taught by the Spirit. He says these things because when we're, when we're taught by the Spirit, we actually see the community. We actually see the church in a way that's completely different than the rest of the world. He, he brings this up in the next chapter, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. But he says, now we've received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We can't understand the value of the community, the value of the things that God has gifted each and every one of us without the Spirit. We can't see things differently unless we're taught by the Spirit. Because without the Spirit, it's just another gathering. It's just another getting together for something that people want to be involved in. But it's the spirit that opens our eyes to see the actual value of our community. It's the spirit that opens our eyes to see the fact that we're united to Christ and we don't, we're not to not only see the tension, but to see the fact that we're gifted, that we're sufficient, that we're not lacking in anything so that we could have peace in the tension. And if you don't feel like we have all speech and all knowledge, then that's why we need to be taught by the Spirit. We needed to be taught by the Spirit so we see the value of that. And I think it's appropriate the way Paul ends his introduction. Oh, now it's working. <laughs> he says, God is faithful, because we're not. He says, God is faithful, the same one by whom you were called into fellowship of his son. Again, that's another you, that's a plural you, who all of us were called into the fellowship, our son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He reminds us that God is faithful. So that's our prayer. That's my prayer as we think about this idea of being taught by the Spirit. I don't, I by myself am not sufficient to equip y'all with all speech and all knowledge. Right now I'm saying it. <laughs> that's gonna bother me. <laughs> you are not sufficient by yourself to be sustained to the end. But all of us, because God is faithful, because God has united all of us, and because God has given us the Spirit, we are all together, are sufficient, and will be sustained to the end because God is faithful. The Spirit is faithful. So that's what we're gonna be thinking about over the next few weeks. That's what we're gonna be thinking about over the next few months is what does it mean then to be taught by the Spirit so that we can understand that, so that we can see the community the same way that Paul sees the community. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with that. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you that you're faithful. 
I thank you that you know we're insufficient and Jesus didn't just raise from the dead and wait for us to figure everything out, but he rose from the dead and sent his spirit out so that we could understand the things that you have given to us, Lord. I thank you that um, you work in a supernatural way to just equip us and help us understand how we're a part of a community that's, that can have peace even in the tension of this world, Lord. So I pray that you would give us wisdom as we think about the spirit. I pray that you would uh, have us often come to you in prayer and, and work through your spirit so that we could understand these things that you've given us, Lord. And I pray, pray that you would just, uh, we'd know more about what you're doing in our community at the end of this uh, series than we, than we did when we started. So I thank you for this time this morning. Uh, in your name I pray, amen.